Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, French Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a very, very special episode of the show for you today. Joining us once again on the other side of the mic is our guest, Mike Dudas. Mike, it's so good to have you back on the show. I think this is a good opportunity to get just a temperature check on the state of crypto venture capital. We're out of the summer. The summer doldrums are over. There's a bit, I mean, when, when we say there's more activity in this market than there was, it's, it's kind of like going from zero to one and a half. But how would you describe sort of um, deals? We're seeing, you know, we're seeing um, a few new companies crop up, but what's it looking like from your perspective? Yeah. So um, obviously, you know, run six man ventures. We're, we operate at the earlier stage of the crypto venture spectrum, right? So typically pre-seed and seed rounds, uh, and then a little bit of Series A, you know, mixture of tokens and equity, and we invest, you know, across different blockchains and globally. So we have a pretty good purview um, into all of the different, you know, crypto ecosystem stages, and we do applications and infrastructure. You know, what that means is we're not going to be you know, the absolute deepest in terms of understanding a specific, you know, Ethereum roll up and deep in that ecosystem and doing everything there. But to your question, it gives us a nice purview of, of the overall market. And so you know, what I would say is the, I would say as of you know, middle of September uh, right now, we're at a point uh, in the crypto venture and private markets where it, it's the slowest pace of deal making that I've ever seen personally. Uh, and that's, that's globally it's lower than even the summer. It's lower than three, four months ago. Mm-hmm. It's lower than nine months ago. And, uh, you know, I don't know what that portends for a, a go forward basis, but mm-hmm. I expected us to come back into September and see, you know, folks maybe go a little bit more risk on and and have not seen that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've seen announcements, you know, blockchain capital today announcing a large fund. Uh, I think yeah, electric they had capital. Two, two funds and yeah. there was also the, um, this new and former and recent executive who just raised some fresh cash. So what I think you're, you're seeing is so, so I think the public announcements and the, the rounds they're getting, it's delayed. I mean, we're talking, I've never seen them delayed so much. They're a year more. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that as well, where it's like, you, you, you kind of see them announced and then you ask the founder, Oh my God, like how'd you raise exactly. this, this month? And they're like, well, we raised this round a year and a half it's ago. It's literally. Like, what, do, what, do you, what do you think? What's behind that? Because it's kind of a, it's idiosyncratic, isn't it? Why do they, and why do crypto firms announce so, um, so late in, in sort of that process. Yeah. So I think the reason is, uh, it depends on the, the project, the company, the protocol. But uh, what I would say is a number of the rounds that were done in, in the current market don't make economic sense. And, uh, and the, the companies, when they raised, you know, basically didn't have any progress or weren't anywhere near, cl- I mean, literally were raising, you know, on, um, Figmas and you know, design docs and, and really loose docs ends, 
Uh, and it would have been, frankly, embarrassing to announce these rounds at those, uh, you know, it, because we were already in a bearish market, you know, middle of last year, right? I mean, it's wild mm-hmm. how it feels. It's, it's, it's been a long bear. It doesn't feel like it's changing, you know, the next couple of months here. So I think a lot of the firms that raised money, a lot of the companies and projects and protocols kept waiting and waiting and saying, hey, the market's going to turn. Um, you know, we'll talk about ourselves. We'll, we'll produce, uh, you know, we'll write some actual code <laughs> and produce product um, and there'll be a better time and just no better time came. And so now it's like, look, if we don't announce it, like we're actually running out of money, we're going to need to raise our next round soon. Uh, let's get a little excitement around the company. And I, I like, I, I know it's, I'm kind of laughing about it, but I do feel for, for some of these entrepreneurs who spent, uh, you know, as if you know, raised 15 million, uh, burn 700 a month and and now you're looking at nine months runway it's kind of funny isn't it how a lot of these raise announcements and and i don't want to speak on behalf of of this this new firm bastion since they're kind of the the headline du jour but it is kind of funny and i've noticed this how a lot of companies use that initial let's say series a seed round announcement as the marketing uh mechanism to then do their next round because they have to you know get interest in um, yeah, and I won't comment on any, any specific deal, but it's it's definitely a, a you know a common common pattern. So you know the stuff that you're hearing announced is is pretty old uh, in most cases. Um, the other thing that you're you're not going to hear around is uh, we've seen a number within our own portfolio as well as in other portfolios and companies that you know, we didn't choose to invest in that, that frankly have pivoted out of crypto. And, you know, maybe they, they were mm. going to use either token incentives as a part of their business model, or they were going to use NFTs as a way to, you know, encode and, and store permissionless metadata, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and just said, Hey, you know, that's just not necessary. Uh, our customers really aren't looking for that at this particular moment. And so there's been a lot of pivoting out. So, um, it's, it's, it's a tough time, uh, for founders, particularly at the earlier stages, the, as I said, the pocketbooks aren't open, uh, to the extent that they were obviously we're investing. Um, but the second piece of it is founder expectations are still anchored in you know, prices from a year to three years ago, uh, even where they've come down. So, you know, do you, do you think, do you think that we're only just starting to feel, uh, the pain of generalist funds pulling back, you know, those were headlines that were maybe right in the wake of, of FTX and, and SBF, um, Sequoia, um, some of the larger firms, maybe not so much in A16Z, but um, some of those firms that are more on the peripheral yeah. crypto. Are we just, is, is that sort of playing into this environment? Yeah, so it, it is in the sense that I think it's confusing and um, entrepreneurs are losing cycles, basically pitching and reaching out to folks who are no longer investing. There is not a lack of capital. There, there truly is enough capital in the space. Uh, you know, if you look from everything from the mega funds like A16Z and Paradigm down you know, through blockchain capital, electric, Dragonfly and others, like there's plenty, plenty of capital uh, available. But uh, to your point, the uh, many founders are, are still looking at some of those hybrid funds, uh, crossover funds that, yeah, they're no longer investing. So they're wasting cycles uh, trying to persuade those folks. You know, what I'm finding in many cases is you just you have to go to the OGs. You have to go to the pure funds, the, the frameworks, the multi-coins, the, the six MVs, uh, the variants, the people who really, really 
uh, have been at it for a number of years, Pantera, uh, and are going to be here five to seven years from now. The last thing you want, and we've seen this with portfolio companies where we didn't lead, uh, is like the partner who led the deal. I mean, in, in some cases, if it was like FTX Ventures, they're just gone. But uh, in other cases, <laughs> like they've left crypto. You don't want, you, you know, you really, uh, the, the challenge of building a blockchain enabled business or a protocol is, is so intense. You know, having to you know, build on a blockchain, having to deal with regulatory um, scenarios, having to understand these ecosystems that are highly specialized deeply. Um, token incentives and design, if that's part of your business model. It's so specialized that uh, I'm, we're just counseling folks when we invest uh, to look for, you know, we're recommending co-investors who are just purely crypto native. It's it, There's very limited scenarios in the early stage when it makes sense to have a general purpose fund on your, on your cap table. Yeah. And especially from like, I mean, I'm trying to think like what maybe some of the benefits would be to play devil's advocate. Like there's potential some there's there's obviously relationships that like a Temesac or a Sequoia can make uh, that maybe a six man ventures absolutely uh, necessarily be absolutely. able to make. But in this market, are those relationships necessarily relevant? Well, you mentioned two of the absolute best, right? So like it's never it's almost never a bad idea to raise from Sequoia, right? I mean they're they're one of the best yeah. VC firms in the world. Again, I'm not going to name names that I wouldn't raise from, but it's it's more the tourists, right? <laughs> Um, but the companies yeah. that we've co-invested in with Sequoia, um, not all of which are announced, we've just seen them be an incredibly supportive investor. And that's for companies that are really succeeding and for companies that are uh, perhaps looking to pivot. Sequoia are real pros. They make the connections. Folks like Ribbit are in that category where they're like mm -hmm. fintech and crypto, but but really do incredible service on both sides. Uh, and then, you know, you do have specialists because, um, again, crypto to succeed requires so much. So you have you know, folks like Jump on the market maker side, Wintermute, and strategic investors can really play a big part in the success story for companies So and for, and for protocols. I, I never know exactly what to call them because we invest in a variety of different entity types. So what is the preference looking like in terms of uh, consideration of a deal? Is token... Um, the a, a dirty word? For many, it is. For many, it is. Uh, for us, it's not. So uh, we believe that, you know, the reason that we're doing what we do is that tokens, whether they be, you know, tokenized dollars, stable coins, or whether they be a token that maybe represents a claim and a cash flow, uh, as well as a governance right, as well as, you know, a reward for work performed or an incentive, like tokens are why we're here. Okay. Again, it could be a store of value like Bitcoin, but we, you know, I got into, I got into crypto in, in 2013 um, because of, you know, these blockchains over which tokens could ride, you know, back then for, for relatively cheap, Bitcoin could move. Um, and then it obviously got more expensive over time. And then we've had a number of other blockchains that have come about, but yeah, we're in it uh, because we think tokens are a, a, a novel form of, you know, consideration um, and are much more uh, interesting, compelling, and can have greater utility uh, and purpose than, for example, just equity or, or just a bond. So we're excited by tokens. That being said, um, we, in a, in a typical deal that we look at where we think there is likely to be a token in the future, we prefer to invest in equity of the entity and then have a warrant or some other structure by yeah. which we have rights to a token should it be issued in the future. 
Um, we are structured uh, as you know, we're based in the United States, but we have a uh, Cayman fund, Six Man Ventures Cayman fund, by which we do those investments that involve tokens uh, out of. And it's it's a shame that you know we can't do that out of out of U.S. funds. Uh, we could have a whole other podcast on that. But but the bottom line is we've structured our funds such that we can invest in equity tokens. And, and the reason that we like uh, to do deals where we have, where we don't just buy the token straight out is that you can run into risks if you just do straight token investing. Uh, an example would be a protocol that generates significant amounts of cash at the corporate level from selling NFTs, from, uh, you know, running their own internal exchange for tokens and NFTs. And just that cash, the token holders actually don't have in, in some cases, claims on that cash, right? So in an ideally structured deal, um, we would want to own some equity. So have claims on that cash, like any you know traditional tech investor or venture investor, but then also have rights to the token. And that token could have in this network uh, a number of different uh, properties, right? Yeah, that makes sense. So in terms of um, like the amount of opportunities out there, what do you do? Like, is it, is it less about, or sorry, is it more about, um, firms or funds not wanting to be as active or they're just not being enough opportunities to, um, make bets on? I would say the, the latter, but the latter. So I think there's, there's, we're seeing fewer, uh, deals that we're getting excited about. Um, but part of the lack of excitement, I think if we'd seen these deals uh, two years ago at a time when you, know, you maybe couldn't foresee like how much of the activity was propped up uh, you know, by, by leverage. And obviously some people you know, in hindsight did see it, uh, but, but like we were in a euphoric period. Uh, it was much easier mm-hmm. to believe that in the time frame of you know, that initial pre-seed or seed investment, a company could get to a set of milestones that would allow them to get more funding or would allow them people, people were launching tokens much more quickly. Uh, so it's more so like the life, the it's less about there being less companies or projects, but the like the, the life cycle of those companies is happening or playing out more slowly. That and or maybe it's a mix of both. It's a mix of both. And what I would say is the question you have to ask is like, is this idea good? If it's good, mm-hmm. is ne- like why now? And so mm-hmm. the why now part is really hard because there's not a tremendous amount of business or consumer demand for you know blockchain enabled like areas that we invest, whether it be social, whether it be in the NFT loyalty and community space, whether it be gaming and other you know applications. It's just clear we can see from the on-chain activity like yesterday. Uh, OpenSea had its lowest volume day by a wide margin, you know, all year. So there's just not activity and it's getting worse, not better. And so it's hard to make the case if you're investing in a company and you're giving them call it 18 to 24 months of runway to have extreme confidence, uh, to have a lot of confidence. A lot of things would have to go right in that time frame uh, for, for companies to succeed. And it's much easier in a market that's in growth mode where you're seeing net new users come into the ecosystem overall uh, to underwrite, to underwrite, you know, an 18 to 24 month time horizon. It's, it's an interesting um, market. Um, 
like thinking back onto 2018, like everyone kind of had their backs up against the wall. Whereas today there are some companies that are, that are better positioned, not necessarily like sweating as hard. You think of like a, maybe a circle or a Paxos yep. or a, um, Fireblocks. Tether, Tether, yeah. Fireblocks. But, you know, there are other categories of companies, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I think, the poster child, which is um, OpenSea. I mean, I can't imagine being on that management team and just looking at the numbers every day um, must be so brutal. What, how do you, how do you see that panning out for a lot of these NFT marketplaces? especially given the recent news of uh, the SEC's action against, um, what is it, weed cats? Stoner, stoner cats, cats, yeah, stoner cats. And I think there was another one before that that was like, a, you know, another utility-based NFT. So I think the – so we're investors in a number of NFT marketplaces, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of which are weathering the storm better than others. The – key principles in a market like this, it's almost the same principles that apply like to an investor. Mm -hmm. It's like sometimes you just do uh, nothing, meaning like the market isn't here, but you believe that it will be in the future. Like the thesis is unchanged. um, And there's a lot of like just market, you know, sentiment and uncertainty specific things that are uh, making it challenging, like there's no growth, right? So you have to shift from high growth mode and you've seen a number of the NFT marketplaces, for example, uh, cut people to extend runway. Uh, and that makes a tremendous amount of sense. A lot of them, I mean, Coinbase did this, right? Uh, NFT exchanges are very similar in many ways, uh, you know, in terms of how they staff to, you know, crypto exchanges. Mm-hmm. And so you cut, you extend runway and, um, you know, you're, you're definitely better off if, if you raised one of these like mega rounds. And I think, you know, folks like OpenSea, Magic Eden, I think Blur is pretty well capitalized, although their situation is different because they have a token. Um, but basically, uh, the goal here is just don't screw up, you know, stay in the market with a lean team, keep your brand strength, continue to product innovate. And then, you, know, you have to have a pretty good thesis on what type of NFTs are going to exist and, and bring the market back, right? And is that going to be gaming, you know, NFTs? And if so, is your marketplace like set up to succeed in that environment? Uh, do you need to change your product? Uh, is the market going to come back on, for example, Bitcoin ordinals? Is it going to be, you know, some layer two on Ethereum? You know, is it Solana, Aptos, Sui? You just have to have a thesis and you have to be there for it. But um, yeah, there's not much you can do. And the, the worst thing you could do is unforced errors where you're just like spending uh, a tremendous amount of money uh, and continuing at a really high burn in a market with no customers. To, to what degree, um, you know, obviously... It's 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 very much important to um, the future of the market that NFTs take off in some shape or form. But when you look back, to what to what degree would you to what degree would you say that the NFT surge was just a zerp um, zero interest rate phenomenon? And how do maybe projects like capture that lightning in a bottle in the future, or is it? I mean, was this just something that was born of pure, just gambling revelry? 
I mean, it's hard to say, right? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I, I personally wouldn't subscribe to the notion that it was like, I wasn't thinking about like the macro environment and, you know, Zerp. Like, I guess coins were going up. And if the coins like Ethereum were going up, which gave me more ETH or more dollar value ETH, you know, to, to trade in NFTs and be part of these euphoric communities, then certainly indirectly, you know, Zerp contributed to, but ultimately, it's obvious that it was a speculative bubble. We'd had a speculative bubble in NFTs, CryptoKitties originally, you know, NBA Top Shot in 2020, like we, and then the PFP speculative bubble. Um, each one has been larger, and we've had speculative bubbles in like all types of art and collectible assets through you know the history of time, right? So I, I, I think you'll probably see uh, another probably larger speculative bubble. I don't know if it's going to look like, you know, profile pick uh, 10,000 PFPs. You know, I don't know if it'll be open editions. It may be more complex NFTs that have, you know, interesting utility. I bet a lot more of the projects will be non-US based and, uh, you know, not, you know, basically outside of the SEC's purview. But all this is to say, um, uh, you know, I view it more as, and by the way, if you look, like if you just look at the folks in the crypto ecosystem who are left, they're still speculating on all kinds of things. They just moved on to meme coins, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually surprised that no NFT marketplace just listed a bunch of meme coins, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're very like similar assets. And, and it's been interesting to me that nobody did. Um, <coughs> the, so, so I think like moving, moving forward, you know, they're just, there will be the next interesting you know, speculative meta that people get excited about. Um, but you know, to your point, like, and to, there, there's going to be like billions and billions of NFTs that represent all kinds of things, right? Like that represent, um, you know, my loyalty points, my in-game status, and they're not going to all have like massive, you know, economic value. They'll be really interesting in terms of the metadata that they contain in an aggregate, you know, what they say about me. So I think we just need to shift to a model. And then in that case, if, the marketplaces or the NFT platforms aren't generating you know, massive fees off people exchanging these things. Like, I, I don't know, the business model may change, right? Uh, in terms, of, and there's a lot of, uh, and, and frankly, it may actually shift to the products themselves. Like we're investors in Stepin and, you know, Stepin had their own NFT and token marketplace and it was just a massive success, you know, during their, their boom period, which was, you know, speculative fueled for, for a good portion of the time, of course, but yeah, that product still works mm-hmm. and, and people are using it in a non-speculative manner now. It's just much quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the, the fully diluted value of the token is still pretty significant and people are moving and earning, they're earning a lot less, but there's like a good product there. I think you're going to see more apps like that emerge. And what's interesting again, is that's, that's their own marketplace. I think you'll see more of that type of a, of a construct than these like mega mm, uh, eBay, mm. eBay style marketplaces. It's like, it kind of, it kind of like, it kind of captures like an audience from which you can build and iterate in future kind of seeing exactly. a similar phenomenon with friend tech. Friend tech, so rare. Um, you know, NBA Top Shot and its heyday, each one had kind of really owned their experience. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And the beauty is you've got the wallet, you've got, you know, your address that you can kind of take anywhere and it's going to get easier and easier and you can bring it from each of these sites and, and use your address or any of you know, one of your addresses 
as your authentication, your login, and bringing your assets with you. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that the next speculative um, frenzy just pour, pours people into Frank Keys on, on Frentech <laughs> because it's been yeah it's been paying my credit card bill, which is nice. I'm really excited for you. I might need to uh, go buy myself. Everyone who's some listening, Frank tokens. This is not financial yeah. advice. This, yeah, this definitely is, not financial this is, advice. This is life advice. Is that, is that a disclosure? <laughs> this is going to make I'm you- a registered investment advisor, so literally nothing I say here is financial advice. But it does uh, bring up an interesting point, which is that you know, in order to be an investor, in order to be a journalist, in order to be a researcher in this space, you have to use the products. Like they're so unique. Like the notion they're of so weird. They're so weird. The first thing that the folks from Friend Tech launched, the Steel Cam, where you know mm-hmm. you post a picture and it's it's basically blurred out mm-hmm. until you pay ETH for it, and then somebody else can steal it from you so they can see it. So they're doing some really interesting things that involve money and, and of course. Yeah, it, it sounds like we're all kind of blowing smoke up each other's um, rears when we say that the Web3 um, architectures do enable unique experiences for social, for obviously a number of other things. They actually do. It's just how do you, how do you, how do you go from just having unique experiences, which are real, like we, like the point, the steel pictures, is a really fantastic point, and like you could see, like if Frentech's sort of like underpinning infrastructure, like was then replicated for something like, I don't know, OnlyFans or something, you, it could yep. be a better sort of experience or Twitter or whatever have you. But how do you go from just having some unique, you know, aspects of it that are somewhat better to then actually bring on real sizable user bases. So the key is in my mind, and I think you're seeing this and it's a narrative and people are inventing, you know, terms like RWA and things like mm-hmm. that. But ultimately it's a tale as old as time. Like the, it can't, speculation certainly can be a key part of what gets people excited and, you know, all gaming is, you know, there's, there's elements of chance, but ultimately for us to really go mainstream with some of these social things, there has to be, um, cash, I I would say cash flows and claim, you know, a claim on, you know, profit generated by the protocols, uh, involved. You're, you're, you're starting to see that obviously with some of the leading DeFi protocols, um, where they're moving beyond governance to, to fee capture. And that kind of thing's going to have to happen in social, right? The person who, you know, buys into, you know, Frank's friend tech keys in the is long run. If it is, I use that at not me, um, but has to, uh, I would imagine for that to be really sustainable long-term, there has to be some benefit to that person. Uh, tied to if you do grow in popularity, if there are revenue streams, like this is going to happen. It's just going to take decades. Like, and it's going to happen sooner in certain countries than others, right? Um, there's going to be places where you can create a crypto protocol that has cash flows and the token holders can uh, can basically you know, be paid out in stable coin and or you know tokens uh, for for you know, risking uh, something to participate in that protocol. And uh, but it's going to take time. And we don't have the real world framework for it yet, uh, certainly in the US uh, and other large countries. Layer ones, are they as appealing as they were 
Yeah, uh, as an investment. As an investment. Yeah, so I, I would say largely uh, the token valuations of most later ones feel uh, – the newer ones in aggregate, I would say, feel uh, – it's tough. I don't want to offer financial advice. I think there's a bit of uh, frothiness in both L1 and L2 uh, token prices. It's just not clear <clears throat> that there's uh, the value capture mechanism – has been determined for them. And there's so many steps that need to, you know, we need to, to go from like where we are today to, for example, for L2s, like decentralizing, you know, the sequencer and, um, and then you know, moving beyond governance to fee capture and things like that. Uh, mm. That it's, you know, I think a lot of people are using the analogy to ETH. Oh, well, you know, when ETH came about, it wasn't clear how it would capture value and uh, and now look like, you know, 3IP 1559 and a bunch of other, um, you know, upgrades to the protocol, it, you know, now actually leads to burn and it's deflationary and there's significant fee capture. But like you, it's hard to project that to every other L1. Bottom line is you need economic activity occurring on your chain uh, for there to be any hope that the L1 protocol price is justifiable. And um, most of the alt L1s out there have very, very, very little uh, organic, mm. non-paid for, non-bot, uh, real usage. There was some really interesting um, data that came out of this new startup. I don't know if you've come across them. They share um, they share a a number with with your firm in their name. A six. There's six degree. Sixth or sixth degree, I'd have to, I, I forget. And I'm sorry to, I'm sorry to Etienne, um, the founder, but they had some interesting data on like um, the customer acquisition costs of, of, of airdrops and, and kind of compared it to banks and fintechs. And I think some of the more egregious ones were like 5,000 per customer. They looked at like the retention rate of the airdrop and, you know, compared to like, I don't know if you're like a startup fintech, it's like a hundred or something or 200 per customer, um, which kind of speaks to the, the amount of, of like dollar power you have to put into convincing people to use something in crypto, which I think is something else that needs to kind of, kind of change. Yeah. And then the question is, okay, so what are you actually, so are you calculating it? Is it, you know, amount spent per user or is it amount spent per FDV price? Like mm -hmm. in some my token, like that, that's the right calculation that they're doing there at six degree. But, uh, you know, for, for somebody who's actually assessing these things like normal businesses, but you know, most, uh, sorry, not most, many of these L1, L2 protocols are not being run like you know, normal businesses. They're, you know, being run like really large, uh, you know, distributed systems experiments and ecosystem growth and development projects uh, with, you know, the promise, the hope and promise that you'll be able to attract people to build on top of them. And that a big, big, big part of getting people to build on top of them is that there is that economic value at the base layer that they, uh, that they can see that you can actually pay them, mm -hmm. frankly, to build on. And so, yeah, I mean, Create that I, I don't spin wheel. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. So you mentioned at the top that this is just an incredibly slow period for crypto venture. How do you expect the next um, 
the next six months to unfold? So I, despite it, the, uh, the, the sort of cash outflow, um, you know, being somewhat slow, despite the you know, user growth being pretty slow, business and consumer, despite the uh, prices, you know, sort of crabbing and being pretty stagnant mm-hmm. for, for most of the year, uh, it's been heartening to see globally, like how many uh, developers have both stuck around and or, you know, net new developers entering the space. There is, uh, and it gets, you know, for some people tiring to hear, but there is a tremendous amount of you know, infrastructure, research, and scaling work being done. I thought you were going to say institutional capital on the sidelines. Oh, no, 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 no. I think we are. <laughs> we said that earlier. No, but the point is, uh, like, good, good stuff's being built that, you know, if users come back, business and consumer, like, there's... Uh, you know, we have like account abstraction, you know, slash smart wallets. Now we have mm-hmm. incredible, uh, we have a number of different approaches to privacy tech being built. Um, we have an upgrade happening, you know, to Ethereum to introduce blob space. So, you know, you can have more data availability. For it's LTs. never, it's never been easier to ape. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, and, and look, the blockchains keep functioning as always, uh, as ever. Uh, but yeah, there's not a lot of like on-chain liquidity right now. But what I would say is there's a lot of uh, building happening that will allow for applications that are more scalable, more performant. I, I think the one scary thing is and why it's hard to look six months forward and be extremely uh, you know, optimistic is just the, the level of individual user level and the level of protocol hacks and exploits mm-hmm. has not lessened the you know number of like rug pulls and, and frankly the tolerance for them is is disappointingly high and so I, I do think that um, we we need to see uh, and this is all of us like me included we need better security practices at the individual level the protocol level uh, and yeah that I think would be to me combined with just the regulatory uncertainty, you know, over a six month time horizon would be most bearish in terms of, uh, you know, seeing users comfortable, you know, coming back. That being said, uh, you know, things like Frantech, I haven't necessarily heard of, uh, you know, they use Privy, they use some really easy to use, uh, you know, consumer, they create your own wallet. They do ask for some, you know, Twitter permissions and things that people might be uncomfortable with, but I, I haven't, for example, heard of uh, anybody you know, really being hacked. I haven't heard of any, you know, company level or protocol level exploit mm-hmm. there. So, you know, just, I think, um, security, usability, all of these things we've talked about are really important, but, uh, but you know, the, the hardcore folks are still here. Uh, I think we're not at max like boredom. I think, I think we're headed there over the next couple of months. Um, it really does feel like that. Um, Max Boredom. Yeah, interesting. And, and it's a great time to learn, to read, to meet people, to spend time. But, um, but you know, it, it's pretty quiet publicly. Um, you know, we, people get together. Are crypto, are crypto VCs going to go through like a COVID era period of like learning how to make bread? Uh, not, not this or, one. Or, 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 or knit. <laughs> not this one. Uh, well, you were working on your budget before we turn on the mic. I so know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I could afford bread. You know, I got to pay the mortgage. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, 
Well, Mike Dudas, Six Man Ventures, thanks so much for taking the time to stop by the show. Hopefully things pick up and we'll have you back on to talk about the next era. Exactly. Well, we'll do the, you know, we'll do the top 10 things that we're most excited about heading into 2024. (laughs) And I'd actually love to have my partner, Carl, join us. Uh, He's he's an engineer and he's brilliant. Yeah. So we'll have some He's really great. He's been helpful to me in the past. We've, we've, We've dug into some Solana stuff. I'd like to hear if he's still using the phone. Uh, mine's in storage, full disc. Mine's been, which is sucks because I want to get it because um, my iPhone battery has been so horrific. So I want to use it as like my my iPod. <laughs> your Solana phone is your iPod. My Solana phone. <laughs> what did I say to someone the other day? I, uh, I think it was someone at Solana. I said, um, oh, I was making fun of yeah. it for being an Android. I forget what I said. Anyway, yeah. thanks so much for coming on the Thank show. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it, buddy.